You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we're very excited to have a special guest speaker with us. Now let's prepare our hearts as our special guest brings forth God's truth from His Word today. Yeah, I think it was early in the day last week that I just really sensed um, a battle taking place. And, um, and it was... Um, it was something to fill the Holy Spirit just take over and just uh, fill me. It wasn't me. It was, uh, it was the Spirit of God in a mighty way. We're talking about passion, and passion is what energizes life. In fact, it turns the impossible into the possible. In fact, if you don't have any passion in your life, ministry will become boring dull, routine, monotonous. In fact, I'll go so far as to say if you don't have passion in your life, you are not living. You're simply existing. You see, God made you and me to live a passionate life and to serve him and his people with vitality, with vibrancy, with energy and enthusiasm. He wants you to have this kind of life. In fact, in, in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And that tells us that God wants you and I to live a full life, a, a fulfilling life, which is the basis for a fulfilling ministry. If that's true... That's the kind of life that God meant for us to live. Life is meant to be enjoyed, not merely endured. There's too many people in life that are just kind of going through the motions, just enduring what, what is there in life. And as Christians, we need to live with abundancy and, and fulfillment of all that God wants to do in our life. Sadly, however, countless thousands of pastors and ministry leaders, as well as everyone in the church who is involved in any kind of ministry, are simply enduring, they're simply holding on for the ride and, and hoping to survive until death without blowing it too badly. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so God, who got you started in this whole spiritual adventure, shares with us the life of his Son. And he will never give up on you. And we must never forget that. God has a plan for our life and for our ministry and for the opportunities that we have to be able to minister and to share with others around us. And so God's will for you is to live and lead in a spiritual adventure. The life that God plans for you is not a mundane, boring life. It is an adventure that we are to enjoy as we serve God. Helen Keller once said that life is either a daring adventure or it's nothing at all. And I think the same should be true of our ministry. 
It is a, a daring, bold adventure, or it's nothing at all. Early in my ministry, I had the opportunity to sit and listen to Dr. Stephen Olford preach. Dr. Olford was a powerful, spirit-filled expositor of the Word of God. It gave me a great desire to preach the Word of God expositionally. And one of the greatest sermons I believe that I ever heard Dr. Olford preach was that night on the subject that I want to talk about tonight, and that is the passion of ministry. Now, from time to time, um, for, um, I, I've experienced God filling and using our ministry in, in a way that would touch people's lives. And that's an exciting adventure to be on. And I remember from that night after I listened to Dr. Olford, from that time until now, I have been keenly alert to the place of passion in ministry. And I have been in ministry and a student of ministry now for over 40 years. And I have concluded that passion is essential to effective, fruitful, life-changing ministry. In fact, I would even say that passionless ministry is powerless ministry. Passion is that, is that fire that that God ignites in our bones and in our very souls. It is like the fire that's inside of a furnace that gives heat to the entire house or the fire of a steam engine that produces the power that will move that engine, that train down the track. Passion is ardent affection, a fervent, driving, overmastering feeling of conviction with an intense sense of urgency. If ever there was a day that we need this intense sense of urgency in ministry, and not just from the pulpit, but from the ministry of everybody that's involved in, in the church, it is today. The ministry of John Wesley personified passion. Someone once asked Wesley why so many people came out to hear him preach, and he said, I simply set my myself on fire and people come and watch me burn. <laughs> That's great. But when I thought about that, I thought, would, would you say that Fellowship Baptist Church is on fire for God today? Does a holy enthusiasm mark our ministry? If not, why not? It is possible to have and maintain passion in ministry. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul admonished Timothy to stir up, to stir that up, stir up the gift of God which is in thee. And so the source of passion is God. It's not even something that, that we produce in ourselves, but God moves upon us. Paul told Titus, uh, said in Titus 2.14 that Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. 
And that word zealous or zeal is, is a synonym for passion. So Titus here is reminded that this passion comes from God and that purity and passion are the hallmark of the Christian life. So passion is the result of knowing God and loving God and pursuing God. It is rooted in an awareness that we are totally dependent upon God. And so a lack of passion for ministry can cause a ministry, a minister or the person doing the ministry to depend upon the wrong things for success and effectiveness in ministry. And I believe that there's an awful lot of that going on in churches across our country today, that we depend more upon other things than we depend upon the Spirit of God to empower us for ministry. A passion-driven ministry will always look to God. And a passionless ministry will look to other men and will look to organizations and will look to programs. Ian Bounds addressed this issue with clarity when he said, we are constantly on a stretch, if not on a strain, to, to devise new methods, new plans, and new organizations to advance the church and to secure enlargement and efficiency of the gospel. The trend of the day has a tendency to lose sight of the man or sink the man in the plan or organization. God's plan is to make much of a man, far more of him than anything else. Men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. What the church needs today is not mere machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Spirit can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men mighty in prayer. Here at Fellowship Baptist Church, it should be our prayer daily that our ministries never become a matter of duty, but it is always to be our delight because we are serving God and we are experiencing the working and the filling of God's spirit in our life. So in order to do this, we must always be on the quest to know God better, to love him deeper, to grow in our passion for him. If we lose sight of that, we're just going through the motions. When we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that Jesus in his time of ministry, he loved the Father with all of his heart, soul, strength, and mind, and that allowed him to love his neighbors as himself. And he never left his first love despite all of the troubles and the persecution and the worries and the fears and the feeling of anger that tempted him to become depressed. Never once, because he got close to the Father. We see him over and over again going off by himself and spending time with the Father. And I believe that that is the secret to our ministry, is to get away from the, the crowd and all of the stuff that's going on around us and get on our face before God. And to be able to love him deeper and with greater passion. 
We need to ask the Lord for the ability to let the fire of our love for the Lord to never grow dim. Without love, we are nothing. D.L. Moody always prayed before he preached, Lord, light me on fire. And that is always my prayer when I preach that God would light me on fire when I open the word. And so many times as, as, as I walk into the pulpit and I feel uh, um, a, a, maybe a, a nervousness or, or a, a pressure upon me, when I get the word open, it's amazing how the Spirit of God just takes over. And so Jesus' fervency for ministry allowed him to realize that he was not just doing a job, but ministering through the power of the Spirit in a way that would have eternal influences. Now, last Wednesday night, we began this series of five special messages on being passionate. There are five main reasons that we exist as a church. Five things that we need to be passionate about. We need to be passionate about worship. We need to be passionate about ministry. We need to be passionate about evangelism, and then discipleship, and then fellowship. Our heart's cry is that God give us a great passion for each of those five areas. And so tonight, we're going to talk about ministry, keeping passion in our ministry. And I'd like for you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and I will just tell you that in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul has been expounding great theological doctrine. It's a very rich book, and it, it, it's, it, it's an exciting thing to go through all of those, those um, great theological doctrines that he, he expounds upon. But when he gets to chapter 12... He's telling Christians how to apply that doctrine to their life. So he gets real practical here in the beginning of, verse, of chapter 12, when in verse 1 he said, I beseech you therefore, after all of the things that I have taught you from chapter 1 through 11, though he didn't have chapter markings, but all the way up to this point, he said, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Every Christian is to present his or her own body to God as a living sacrifice, a holy, acceptable sacrifice. Now, when we come to church, we don't come here with animals. We don't bring animals with us and sacrifice them in worship to God. The Old Testament sacrificial system has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ's sacrifice for us. We do, however, bring ourselves when we come into this building. We bring ourselves as living sacrifices. We die to ourselves and we live for God. We say with Isaiah from last week's passage, Here am I. Use me, God. And Paul says this, is your reasonable service. And then Paul tells us that we serve him by serving others. That's ministry, serving God by serving others. Every member 
of Fellowship Baptist Church is a minister designed for ministry. I think too many times Christians get the idea that I just come here to church and the pastor and the Sunday school teachers or the deacons, they do the ministry and I just come and watch what's going on. But that's not how God designed all of this. Every one of us has a ministry to be involved in. Someone has said that the only difference between the pastor and the members is that the pastor is paid, paid for being good and Members are just good for nothing. No. <laughs> Think that's probably right or maybe not. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I didn't say that. Somebody else said that. The truth is we're all members and we're all ministers. God has graciously given you certain skills and abilities to use for his honor and glory. And so our purpose is to serve God by serving others. And so in, in our passage tonight, the Bible teaches us how to minister for his glory. There are three things that we must do. If we are going to be effective ministers in the body of Christ. First of all, as you serve the body of Christ, we need to watch our pride. Watch our pride. There in verse, verse uh, 3, he says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, I am, I am prideful when I think of myself more highly than what I ought to think. And so Paul says, rather than thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think, think soberly, he says. Sober up. Watch your pride. And God, Paul gives this warning in, in the context of our service. He goes on and he says, God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And so he's talking about service here. And he's given us that warning there. God has graciously gifted each of us with unique abilities to be able to serve him in the church. And so we understand how, how service can lead to pride if we're not careful. You see, Christian service can lead to pride when I forget that God is the one who has graciously gifted me and given me the ability that I have. We're going to see in, in a moment that each of us is gifted to serve the church in, in some way or another. But Paul teaches that whatever gift you have, you have because God gave it to you. So, so watch your pride and have a spirit of humility about you. Remember that without God, we're nothing at all. It is God who blesses others through you. So if you have a special gift or you have a special ability and others praise you for it, be quick to remind them and remind yourself that God gets the glory for it. And let me just say, say this right here, that I'm not a big fan of clapping for those who, who have, have, have done special music when they are finished. I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I just, I'm afraid sometimes that we put the idea off that we're praising the people 
who are ministering rather than praising God. And I, two weeks ago, I, I preached over in South Bend, Indiana, and it's the most awkward thing. I walked down off of the platform and walked over to the side to sit down, and, and the guy that got up to lead the singing, uh, he said, that was a great job. Let's all give him a round of applause. It, it, most awkward thing that I ever had. And I, and I told him, we need to praise God. Maybe a more appropriate response would be amen. <laughs> or praise the Lord. Or hallelujah. Even unbelievers have special abilities that God has given them through his common grace. You remember King Herod, he failed to give God the credit for his ability to speak well. And if you don't remember, you can read Acts chapter 12 and 20 through 24. King Herod sat on his throne and, and he gave a spectacular uh, oration to the people of Tyre and Sidon. And it was so good that the people began to shout out, It is the voice of a God and not a man. The Bible says that King Herod, when hearing the praise, he failed to give glory to God. And consequently, the Bible says immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. You see, God demands no less of his children. We need to watch our pride. Christian service can also lead to pride when I forget that, that I'm not gifted to do everything. You, you may be gifted to exhort, but that doesn't mean that you're gifted to be able to teach. You may be able to sing well, but that doesn't mean that you can lead well. And so we are not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And so you are not gifted to do everything. So Christian service can also lead to pride when I begin to think that some of our gifts are more important than other gifts that other people have. And this takes us to the next point. As we serve the body of Christ, we must not only watch our pride, but we must know our part. Paul teaches about the church body by comparing the human body. In verses 4 and 5 there, he says, For as we have many members in one body, and, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So Paul is, is basically saying, look at your human body and notice that there are many members in your body. That is, there, there are many body parts. And we say, well, that's true, because I look at my body and I see that I have two feet, I have two hands, I have one head, I have two eyes and one, one nose and one mouth and two ears, and I have internal organs, two lungs and a stomach and a heart. And I say, you're right, Paul, I have many members in my one body. And then Paul says, but, but all of the members do not have the same function. And again, we'd have to agree with him, that's right, because my feet don't have the same function as my hands. My feet can run, but my hands can write. My eyes don't have the same function as my ears. I see with my eyes, I hear with my ears. They're all just as important as the other one. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul even gets a little more humorous about this whole thing when in uh, chapter 12 and verse 17, he says, if the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? And I thought about that. I thought, can you imagine a human body that consisted of nothing more than one big eye? I mean, it looked a little goofy, doesn't it? It looked like those minions or whatever that you see, and the one has one big eye right in the middle, you know? And, and, and so... It wouldn't make sense, would it? We say, okay, Paul, I get it. The human body has many different members, many different parts, and all of the parts have different functions. They all work together, each having an important role to make up the human body. So how does this apply to the church? Well, Paul, there again in verse 5, he says, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one member one of another. That is, we are, we are being many, many different parts of the church are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. We all work together, in other words, to make the body what it is today. And so we use our individual gifts in the body in order to complete the body. That is why it is so important that we don't miss services. We think, well, nobody's going to miss me if I don't come to church today. It'd be, like, it'd be like one of your body parts saying, you know, your hand saying, I'm, I'm not going to go with you to work today. I'm going to hang out here in the bed for a while. Take it easy. And that's what it's like when somebody stays home and then others have to compensate. And, and you know what happens when, when one of your body parts isn't functioning right and the rest of your body parts try to, try to compensate for that, then, then you begin to have aches and pains and, and problems. And it's the same way in the church. We need each other. We need to be here. God placed us in this body together. We get the idea that I, I chose where I want to go. And so if, if church isn't offering what I want, I'll just take off and go somewhere else. That's not God's design. God placed us here. He gifted us long before he ever put us in this body so that we would all function together so that the ministry here would, would go forward and minister to people all around our community. So this biblical teaching helps us to understand why it is selfish and even self-centered for a person to say, I don't need church, or I don't have to go to church, or I don't have to be a church member. And we hear those things all the time. It's just being selfish and self-centered and not understanding God's design for the body. If you want to be biblical, then you need the church. <laughs> and you don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. And you realize that you have a ministry and a part in the whole function of the church. We being many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. Without, without each of us here, we are an incomplete body. We are missing some of our body parts. We can't see completely with one of the eyes missing. We can't run completely with one of the, one of the foot, uh, a foot left at home. We can't be as evangelistic as we should be if even one or two of the fingers decide that they're not going to do their part in, in the body. 
So we need one another that we might properly minister to one another. Again, comparing the human body to the church body in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, Paul said, and whether one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. And that is why when, when, when someone is sick and, and, and going through trials in their life or have things happen tragic in their life, we all hurt with them and we weep with them. And that's why when, when something good happens in their life, we rejoice with them because we're all one body. So as a church, we minister to one another. It's a bit like what Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 12 and verse 15 when he says rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. That is really what our corporate prayer time is all about. That's why, that's why giving prayer requests and, and, and praying for, for others together is, is so important in the church. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. We minister to one another, one part ministering to another part. And the gospel song says it, says it well, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. You will notice that we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family and these folks are so near. When one has a heartache, we all share a tear and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. So we are to serve the body of Christ. We must watch our pride. We must know our part. And then finally, we must use our passion. That, that, that is, use your gift for the glory of God. One of the best ways to identify your gift. Some people, they, they struggle with that. They say, well, I just don't know what my gift is. And, and, and there's, different, there's different things, that tests or things you can fill out. I'm sure pastor has some of those. We had them in our church and, and you can go through that. And some people say, I still don't, I still don't really know what my gift is. And I, I have discovered that one of the best ways to identify your gift is just ask yourself, what do I really have a passion for doing? What do I really, what, what really fires me up? What really gets me excited? In all likelihood, that's going to be the area of your gift. But in verses 6 through 8, Paul lists about seven different gifts different church members may have. He says there in verse 6, uh, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the portion of faith. And so prophecy in, in the most general sense is the public proclamation of biblical truth. Boldly proclaiming biblical truth to others. Some are gifted in this way. In verse 7, he goes on to say, Our ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Ministering carries the idea of serving. It carries the idea of caring for other people. Some are particularly gifted in helping others, of being there for others just at the right time, and knowing how to just put an arm around them and let them know that, that, that you love them and you care for them and you pray with them. You have a servant's heart for others. He that teaching, teacheth on teaching. 
Verse 8, he that exhorteth in, in exhortation. One, in other words, one who encourages others. We all, need, we all need someone to come along beside us and encourage us. Even the pastor needs that. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we think, well, the pastor's the one who's supposed to come and encourage us, but pastor needs to be encouraged. He needs to know that you're praying for him, that you love him, and that you're thinking about him. It's important that we, we do that. And, and some people are just naturally gifted in that area. But there again, it doesn't mean that because I'm not gifted in that, I don't have to be an encouragement to other people. It doesn't mean that at all. But just some are natural gifted there. God has given them that gift. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. That is someone who, who is especially gifted in, in maybe earning money and, and, and giving money above the tithe to Christian causes. There are people like that in the church. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And so there's about seven of them there. Now, this list is not an exhaustive list. There are four places in the Bible where spiritual gifts are listed. They are in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. So it's pretty easy to remember. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. They're in Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. So Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. When you look at these four passages, what you find, you find a variation from one to another, which I believe means that these spiritual gifts are dynamic. In other words, they, they differ with respect to each church and what each church needs. So God knows that all of, all of the different local congregations, bodies of Christ have different needs. And so the gifts that he give differ in, in that way inside of the body. The different lists of gifts also, I believe, reflect the fact that the gifts mentioned are not the only gifts there are, but are a representative sample of an untold number of gifts. And putting it in the imagery of an artist, John MacArthur says that spiritual gifts are like a palette of, of basic colors from which God selects to blend a unique hue for each disciple's life. So we're all different in our makeup, our personalities, and so God will gift us, in, in, and sometimes with the same gift, only in different, in different ways. And so that's why it's so important, again, that we all are involved in ministry. So I don't, I don't make a hard and fast distinction between the list of spiritual gifts, nor do I believe that they are an exhaustive list. Furthermore, I believe that every gift, tendency, talent, skill, or ability comes from God. All of it comes from God and is to be used for his glory. That's what James says in James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? From above comes down from the Father of light, in whom there's no variance or, 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 or changing. And, and so, as I said earlier, one of the best ways to identify your gift is just to ask, what, what do I really get excited about? What am I passionate about? And in all likelihood, that is your, your gift. You may, you may have a passion for teaching children or for greeting people or helping them find their way around the church. Or, or cooking in the kitchen, or cleaning, or working with computers, or helping people come to know Christ. So think about your passion and then use it for God's glory. 
And imagine if every member of our church would use his or her passion for the glory of God. We are ministers. We are, we are shaped to serve, and we serve God by serving others. And so as we serve the body of Christ, we must watch our pride and know our part and use our passion. And so our question tonight is, do you use your passion? Are you using it? God wants to use you to bless others. And so let me encourage you tonight to plug into passion. And our church already has, has many ways that you can, can use your passion in ministry. The children's ministry team and the student ministry team and the young adult ministry team and the young couples ministry team and the hospitality and the choir and the welcoming and the ushering and the media and the sound and the, and the, the meal ministry and the bus ministry and the missions ministry and the list goes on and on. There's plenty of places to get plugged in. You have to, if you're a Christian, be passionate about one of them. And I want to invite you to commit to using your passion for the glory of God. Early in my ministry, I had the privilege also of hearing Dr. Howard Hendricks preach on many different occasions. And I remember one time when I was sitting there, he was telling of a time that he saw a young reporter interview Bud Wilkinson, who was at that time the coach of the top-ranked Oklahoma Sooners football team. And he said that the, the enthusiastic reporter asked Coach Wilkinson, tell us what contribution collegiate football has made towards physical fitness in America. Well, the reporter, Hendricks said, was rather stunned when Wilkerson replied, I do not believe that football has made any contribution to physical fitness in America. Well, what do you mean, asked the dumbfounded reporter. I define football, replied Wilkerson, as 22 men on the field desperately needing rest and 50,000 people in the stand desperately needing exercise. (laughs) And Dr. Hendricks concluded by saying, what a description of the local church. And I thought about that. And I thought, sadly, Christianity in America is often a spectator sport. You go Sunday, you sit, and you watch the pros perform. And then you leave. But ministry is something that every one of us in this room, every person who knows Christ as our Savior, is to be involved in. So find your passion. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.